can you, what are we doing, Renee? I've, my brain stopped. What are we doing? <laughs> what are you waiting for me to do? Start the show. Start talking. <laughs> I literally, my brain just stopped. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina. And I'm Renee. And this is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest mood readers who are easily distracted by new releases. And this week, we let our patrons pick our reads. If you enjoy listening, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have a minute, please consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media. All of this truly helps other book lovers find us. Hey, Renee. Hey, Tina. How are you? Loving life, man. It's Thanksgiving's over. It's the morning mm-hmm. after Thanksgiving. I'm in my Christmas PJs already. I don't want to see a singular pumpkin or turkey around the house. <laughs> I'm fully into Christmas because I'm one of those that has to keep my Thanksgiving decorations up through Thanksgiving because we hosted Mm -hmm. it just felt right. And now today we can finally lean into Christmas and I'm excited. Okay, good. Yeah, we had a good Thanksgiving. Lots of card playing. Do you do you you guys play cards when you get together or like board games or anything? No, I wish we did, but we don't. Okay, yeah, we did. And the card game we played was 31 Mm -hmm. and I won. One of the games. And we played with, yeah, we played with quarters. Everybody has, um, you can be played with the dollars, but no one had enough. So it was, everybody has three quarters and I won. I I love winning. I would have loved winning if it was a penny. I don't care. (laughs) Oh, I'm the same way. I could truly play card games, board games, uh, drinking Mm -hmm. games, whatever we're playing. I am in and I could play all night. That's why I want to teach. I was trying to teach Lily to play Yahtzee last week because I love Yahtzee. I do too. So her, you know, the attention span's not quite there, but she was learning to count on the dice and stuff. So it's not a total loss, but like she lost interest by the end. I'm like, no, no, mommy's winning. (laughs) I got Yahtzee. I got Yahtzee and a bonus Yahtzee. I can't quit. So it was a very, very big day at our house. I didn't even, I didn't know that you loved Yahtzee. And I love Yahtzee. I love, I like I said, I love board games too. And just a couple weeks ago, I gave Darren three choices. It was like, uh, I don't know if it was like Friday night, we didn't have anything to do. I was like, let's play something. Your choice is Yahtzee, Rummy, or, oh, Scrabble. And he was I, like, I, not the Holy Scrabble. Trinity. I knew you were going to say Scrabble. <laughs> I love Scrabble. Do you like Scrabble? Yes, I do Can love Scrabble. Can mm-hmm. we play Scrabble next time I see yes. you? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that would be so fun. Oh my God, oh. I love it. Well... <laughs> You know. So anyway, board anyway. games board games aside, how how's your reading been? Because it's been a little while since yeah. we have recorded. Reading's been good. I'm actually pretty excited now. Jonathan went back to work after paternity leave. We had a lovely, I'm so glad we got to spend so much time together. Like we're very thankful that we were able to use our PTO and, you know, have that time. But I was telling him, having him home at night really affected my reading. And I mm-hmm. am fully recognizing that now. Part of the reason why I'm able to listen slash read so many books is because my husband works a different shift than I do. So I was like, wow, with you home, it's kind of taken, my reading has taken a hit. It's not Cassia, the baby, it's you. <laughs> um, not in a bad way, but just, you know, he's home, so I want to hang out. Right. But he's been back and I finished three books <laughs> since he's been back. So it has been pretty good. Today I've got two, five, well, two like highly recommend and then one I very much liked. So I'm excited to share. 
What about you? Okay, good. I have been doing great uh, on my reading. My loving lately today has interfered a bit with my reading, but in a good way. I'm not mad about it. I'm I'm actually really happy about it, but that's kind of decreased my reading time a bit. But as I will tell you, my reads, yeah, I and I I loved and really enjoyed both that the patrons picked. And I will explain later as to why I am so thankful that our patrons were patient and flexible oh, <laughs> with yes. helping me choose. Yes, yes, exactly. As as it as it so goes with mood reading. Right. I will share my loving lately. This is a very practical item. But truly, I was sitting there thinking, what have I been obsessed with lately? And it's my new vacuum. <laughs> awesome. It is a shark wand vac system. And it's a cordless stick vacuum. And it comes with an empty base. So this thing is self-cleaning, allegedly. You know, they say it's self-cleaning. And I've we've tried throughout the years all of the vacuums out there. Your standard plug-in, the Dyson, a more inexpensive like hand vac. And they always have, I have issues with them or they break or whatever. This one I am so impressed with. It's the best one I've had in years. First of all, it's beautiful. (laughs) It looks great. It's white and rose gold. So it's very like aesthetically pleasing. But what I love is there's three ways to use it. There's an attachment where you can use it as a traditional vacuum and it's cordless. You could use it as a small hand vac, sort of like a dust buster type type thing. And then they have an attachment that's longer. And you're not having to search for all the attachments when you need them because they all attach to this base. And then the base is the thing that sucks the gunk out of the little hand vac. So it's so satisfying. Decent battery life. I can get through my whole house with it. It's great for stairs. I like something that's lightweight. It is a little bit loud. My girls, well, not Cassia, but Lily's a little afraid of it, (laughs) but that's a her problem. So it's not like the most quiet thing, but it's powerful. I'm like, okay, this feels like it's actually sucking things up because that's usually my big problem with hand vacs is they're not powerful Mm -hmm. enough. I really like this. This is not the most glamorous loving lately that I have ever shared, but I think for the price point, it is an excellent vacuum, especially if you're somebody who I'm not one that's going to take out the big thing every day, plug it in, heavy, move it around. Like if you're someone who needs a lighter option, I highly recommend this. This is my Shark Wand Vac system. I love this recommendation. We have a shark Uh that a really lightweight shark, but it has a plug. It's a plug-in. And the cord is so tangled. And this is our second shark and the cord, the cord tangles the same as the first one. Oh, that's so irritating. So I am really interested in this recommendation. I love it. I love it. And I use it on carpet upstairs. We only have one area that has carpet. It's our little, little loft area. Works on carpet too. Oh, okay. The amount of dog hair this picked up. <laughs> for, now, I will say it does get full. Like it was too full for like the little base to suck out. So I did have to empty it. But like, I mean, please. That's well, like that's a, not a big deal. Not a you big don't, deal. But exactly. you don't, you just go empty the base and move on, right? Especially with pets. It does pick up dog hair because we have a black lab too. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, highly recommend. Oh, I like it. Okay. All right. My loving lately, which I said has has interfered with my reading in a good way, is Emily in Paris on Netflix. Yeah. I started watching this, I don't know, maybe five nights ago. And I'm almost done. (laughs) And there's three seasons. Nice. But I've had the best time watching and binging. This is an American romantic comedy. And like I said, it's on Netflix. This series was created by Darren Starr, Darren Starr of Sex and the City, 
This show is about an aspiring marketing executive named Emily Cooper, and she is an American who moves to Paris to provide an American point of view to a French marketing firm. And there she tries to overcome challenges in her work, love life, and friendships. I love the show. Have you watched this, Tina? No. Mm -mm. Okay. The side characters, like the supporting characters, are fantastic. Her work people, this girl that she meets when she first gets there, and they become friends. And there's a love triangle, which you know I love. I absolutely love this. It is, I'm going to say like each episode is like 30 minutes. It's so easy to just sit there and let it automatically go to the next episode. I've watched it just about every night till at least midnight. (laughs) And um, I love it. The fashion, I mean, wow, on the fashion. So if you like Sex in the City, as far as fashion goes, I think you would like this. And it's filmed in Paris. And it is gorgeous. I want to go. I want to go to Paris now. I want the little coffee shops. And one of the characters there is a chef. And so you get the French restaurant. I love it. I mean, yes. Have I rolled my eyes at certain things? Yes. This is a very, gosh, where things happen and just, they happen in just the perfect way. Of course. But, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't care. I really don't care. I mean, and Emily has made some of the dumbest decisions of anyone I've seen on any TV show. But again, I don't care. I'm thoroughly entertained. Um, the only downside is, is I actually don't, I just watch this and I'm not reading on the, you know, I don't have an AirPod in. I'm yeah. not on my Kindle at the same time. I am thoroughly enjoying just watching this. So I am doing a little online shopping while I watch it, but that's about it. So this is Emily in Paris on Netflix. I'm so surprised that you are enjoying this one because I would have thought it reads or watches young, but no, it's still entertaining. Uh, No, I don't think. Yeah, it's very entertaining. And quite a few of the characters are older. For some reason, I thought she was like a high schooler. Because I I don't know anything no. about it, so I <laughs> she's thought, a young adult. She's in yeah. her she's in her probably mid mid twenties, mm-hmm. late twenties. But then at the French marketing firm, her boss Sylvie, she is such an amazing character. And I don't know if I had to guess, I would say Sylvie's probably in her fifties. Okay, and then there's like a designer that they work with, and he's a ma- he's a big main character and he's older. So there's a nice mix of older and younger characters. Definitely does not like quote unquote read YA. If we were talking about a book. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, it feels like I thought it would read YA, but okay, good. I'm glad I asked. No. Now, like I said, I was reading a little bit of online critiques about the show and and a lot of people now, I have never been to France. Oh, but I, I did take five years of French, which is another thing I really like. That I actually understand some of the words. And they speak a lot of French, and I love that. It's kind of fun to to hear it and be like, oh my gosh, I recognize that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the, some of the online critiques of the show have been that is very rose-colored glasses, which, yeah, it is. And then there's critiques that it's stereotypical of French people okay. and, uh, and Paris, Parisians. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. But I, you know, I think it's, it's at least showing me a side of Paris that I 
am like, I would love to. If I could go there tomorrow, I'd go. Yeah. Nice. And you're not like a big, you like I'm not a big travel, travel person. But you're not I a love big armchair. in real life travel. Mm-hmm. No, I am, no, I am not. But I would go. I would definitely go to Paris. Just watch it. Watch an episode and just yeah. look at all the, it's just gorgeous. The architecture, the buildings. Granted, it looks like it might be filmed in the spring, summer. Mm. So the flowers and everything is just really pretty. Okay. Maybe I'll save that for spring. I like that recommendation. Mm-hmm. Lily might like it too. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> uh, I spent a lot of time with my kids these last couple of months. Can you tell? Like I'm. Yeah. Well, there's immersed. a lot to. There's there's some romance. There's some steam scenes in here. Okay. So, so not not sure it's kid friendly. <laughs> okay. Good to know. <laughs> All right. Speaking of children, my latest read is Birdie and Harlow. Life oh. lost and loving my dog so much. I didn't want kids by Taylor Wolf. I brought this previously as a shelf edition and. I like to think of Taylor as a friend. Even though we've never met in real life, we've followed each other on Instagram for literal years. She's a comedian, writer, just a funny person. Like, she used to live in Chicago, and I I really, really enjoy her. Her book came out the day that I had Cassia, though, and I felt so bad because I wanted to bring it sooner, but, like, obviously I was, you know, doing mm-hmm. other things. But I'm happy to say I absolutely adored this book. It makes me a little nervous when someone I know, like, sends you their book. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, please let it be good. Do not worry about that. I can say with an unbiased opinion that this is fantastic, especially if you like memoir, especially if you like animals, if you're an animal lover or if you're a parent. I do think there's something here that you would appreciate. This is about her self-described codependent relationship with her dog, Harlow. And what loving him taught her about chosen family and motherhood. She got Harlow when she was in her early 20s as a last-minute anniversary gift to her then-boyfriend, Chris, who's now her husband. And Harlow became much more than a dog. He became the center of their family. I was so impressed with all of the adventures they would go on, all of the walks. In fact, she changed her career. She used to work like a nine-to-five. She hated leaving him so much that she figured out a way to work from home before that was really a thing. And they went on all these walks all the time. And it was just such a beautiful friendship. I mean, these this dog and this, and this woman were friends. These are essays about their adventures together. And in the book, she gives Harlow a voice. Now, you might think that sounds silly. She pulls it off absolutely flawlessly because they... You know, when you work from home and you're by yourself for a lot of the time, you these dogs are your people, mm-hmm. right? You're talking, you know, Renee, like you're yep. talking to these dogs. So he also has a voice. She is a comedian. It really, really works. And she shares her ups and downs. So it's funny, but it's also sad in some places. It's about coming of age. You know, it takes place over the course of about 10 years or so of her life. So everything she shares is definitely infused with a little bit of humor and just authenticity. I'm like, as you see her on Instagram, if you've ever followed her, that's absolutely how she reads on the page. It's also such an honest look at motherhood about whether or not you should have kids, if you want to have kids, how you decide to make the conscious decision to have children, the things people say to folks who are childless by choice, and all of the anxieties and joy with, that come with being pregnant and labor and having young kids. She was very, very raw with her sharing of that. There's no denying that there are sad elements to this. I have not cried this hard from a book in a very long time, but I don't care. It was such a human story. Well, human and animal story. <laughs> and I thought it was really worth the journey. This is a great reminder to appreciate pets and appreciate people while they're still with us. I 
absolutely love this book. It was Birdie and Harlow, Life, Loss, and Loving My Dog So Much I Didn't Want Kids by Taylor Wolf. Oh, yeah. I, d- I want to read that. I yes. do want to read that. Yes. You'd love it. You would love it for sure. Okay. I do the the whole talk to my dog thing because he's he's always there. And Is I any answer? Well, no, I mean with his eyes. Yeah. I know he knows. I, I, he knows I'm what like you're I'm going to the store. There was a meme on Instagram that I shared where where somebody um not meme um a reel where somebody made a video and she was talking to her dog and saying like I'm going to Target and then I'm going to go here and then when I get back we can go get a pup cup and I was like if that I literally I feel seen. Yeah. Because the, I just do that. They're always there. And I am always, I'm home so much and he's here that I'm, I'm always like, I'm going to the store, but then when I get back, we'll go to the park. Yeah. Or I have oh. to say, we'll go out because he knows what park means. And then he thinks he's going right he's, now. He gets excited. Mm-hmm. You have to read this. It's, try and squeeze it in before <laughs> the end of the year. It's a okay. short, it's like an eight hour audiobook. So, Okay, definitely. All right. My latest read is What We Kept to Ourselves by Nancy Zhuyun Kim. And I did this one on audio. The audio was great. And this one has a a dual timeline. So in 1999, the Kim family is struggling to move on after their mother, Sunny, vanished a year ago. So you already know that as the story begins. And 61-year-old John Kim feels very isolated from his grown children. There's Anastasia and Ronald, and Anastasia is living in, I believe, in San Francisco, and Ronald is still around, and they are all struggling. And then one evening, their lives are further upended when John finds the body of a stranger in the backyard. And in that stranger's hand is a letter to Sonny. So now the family has even more questions than ever about who is this person and what are the possible connections to their mother? Okay. The other timeline is 1977. And in that timeline, we meet Sunny when she and, and John when they are younger. So about 20 years before, and she is pregnant. So the story will start in the 1999. It does give you a really nice setup there before it shifts into the into the past, but then it'll come back into the present. So this is a story that will explore the consequences of secrets between parents and children, husbands and wives. And it's the story of one family's search for home when all seems lost. Okay, I'm going to leave it there. But the fact that it is the dual timeline is actually one of my biggest issues with this book. I like this a lot. And the nice long longer setup in present day was actually perfect because I became really instantly invested in these characters and the story right away. So I was I was going along, going along. I didn't really even actually read the synopsis before I started. I knew it was a mystery. I knew that the husband, John, found this other person in like dead. And that's what that's all I knew. Okay, so we get to know Sonny a little bit when we start. We get to know the kids, and we get to know John. And for that reason, I was all in. It was. It had a very mysterious tone and vibe to it, even though it is a bit slower paced. I didn't care about that. I was all on board with 
what happened to Sunny? I was on board for the kid. I mean, the kids, I felt bad for them. They're young adults. They're not young. And they're all left scrambling to put the puzzle pieces together. Now, this one little extra twist of who is this person that is dead in their backyard? Was this just a freaky coincidence? Or is the dead body linked to the disappearance of Sunny? I was invested in the plot and the characters 100%. But then, and then it shifted. And that is where sometimes stories can lose me. And it did, and I did feel a bit frustrated with that shift in timeline perspective. Because when we go back, we're getting to know them when they're younger. And it, it, it works to set up their dynamics. But I wanted the present day, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. There was a bit too many extraneous details when the story shifted to the past. Mm -hmm. And so those shifting time perspectives are something that took me out of the tension of the present day, which is where I wanted to be. What ended up propelling me through the story was a feeling of connection with the characters, especially the mother and the kids, as well as the author, the way the author continued adding mysterious layers as the story progressed. So not only what happened to Sonny, but what happened to the person found dead in the yard. And really for me, I wanted to know, did Sonny really just pack up and leave her family? Did she have an accident that accidentally killed her and no one's found her body? Or was she murdered? That was a possibility and someone was covering it up. All of those things are quite possible, and I thought the author did a great job of crafting the story around all of those possibilities. And bonus, I did not see the ending at all, which I love. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I think readers who might who enjoy immigrant stories, 1990s timelines, slow-burning mysteries— Um, Korean culture and cuisine, that was really a great part of the story. And family drama and secrets might really like this. This one is What We Kept to Ourselves by Nancy Juyun Kim. That sounds really good. And I have a copy on my shelf. Good. Yeah, Yeah. it's worth it. It is worth it. And that shifting timeline perspective might not bother people. Mm -hmm. That's a hit. That's a me hit or miss factor. Yeah. yeah. Usually I don't mind that, but I I sometimes like just being in one person's point of view. Like just mm-hmm. give me one perspective really, really succinctly and in depth versus right. like going back and forth. Because sometimes and, I'm like, who is this again? You know, I don't like learning new people. So I'm like, what is this? How's it going to tie together? I know. And not only, well, yeah, not only that, but then when it shifts in time, you're like, oh, but the tension was in the present day. Mm, and if that's yeah, yeah. where the tension... and. Although I can see there was a buildup, but you just got to, you you have to hang with that buildup in the past. I see. Okay. All right. Well, it's funny that you shared some of the reasons why you liked it and who might like this, because today for Book Talk, we're talking about recommending books to others. Obviously, when you're making tailored book recommendations to someone, you want it to be something that they like. And there's a skill, I think, in that. So I'm wondering, Renee, what are some of the questions that you like to ask if you're going to recommend a book to somebody? How do you, what questions do you ask them to get a sense for their reading taste? Okay. I like to ask, number one, what are you in the mood to read? Mm -hmm. Because I'm a mood reader, that's usually my first question. And a lot of times people don't know 
Yeah. So then <laughs> that's me. <laughs> not everybody is a mood reader, but that's my first go-to question because sometimes people do know like, oh, I don't I don't want true crime. I get a lot of like I don't want true crime, but I also like to know what have you read lately that you loved? What haven't you liked that you've read? And is there any genre that you aren't interested in? Or is there anything off the table as far as recommendations go? Like some people don't want to be recommended a book over 500 pages. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about you? Do you have any go-to questions? That's a great point. I think I am the type of person, if you were to ask me, what kind of mood are you in to read? I'm like, I don't know. Just, (laughs) you know, and that's like, even like when I'm thinking about books, I'm like, this one sounds so good. And I'll open it. I'm like, nope. I have to be reading it to know if I'm in the mood for it. It's hard for me to visualize what I am in the mood for. I think you bring up a good point. I like to know what didn't work for them. Like, what are some of the things that you don't want? Like, what do you like typically in terms of genre? Do you read fiction? Do you read nonfiction? What don't you like? And when I'm making recommendations, I like to share why something would work for me. So you just did this with your last recommendation. This might work for you if you're interested in Korean culture, if you're interested in historical fiction, if you like 1990s timelines, dual Mm -hmm. timelines. Like I like to pull out specific aspects that a person might like. So for the book that I recommended, if you like motherhood stories or stories about animals, this one definitely would work for you. So I kind of draw to themes because I know that it can be hard for people to decide what mood they are in. I think it's helpful if I can get somebody to zero in on a, if they don't know what they're in the mood for, if I can get them to zero in on what genre yes, they would like to start with. So if someone were to say, well, I want a romance. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, now tell me more. Do you want, do you like love triangles? Do you, you know, what type, what do you like to read about? Yeah. So tr- what is your, like tropes, that tropes and themes come in then. And then from there, I can narrow down and mm-hmm. kind of figure out more like specific book recommendations from yeah. that. Do you only recommend books that you've read? Oh, good question. No, I, well, okay. And that's where I wouldn't use the, the word recommend. I would suggest if yeah. I, or like offer, you might try I guess offer, this. offer yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. Because if I'm going to recommend something to someone, those are the books I've read. Because I feel like I can recommend it then. But if not, then I'll offer up suggestions yes. and mm-hmm. be and just be like, okay, th- I know th- I know this book has these themes or this trope. So you might like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I know too from basically what we do, we get a feel for a book. We know what the the quote unquote book community is saying mm-hmm. about a book. So even if we haven't read it personally, sometimes I feel like, hey, you might try this one because I've heard good things about it or I've heard trusted sources say that they really liked it. I will also recommend something or suggest a book, offer it up if you've read it. And I know you really liked it because I know your taste. And like, if I can get a sense for what somebody is looking for, I'll be like, oh, I know Renee really liked this one or my co-host really liked this one. Same. I know my mom has a, she kind of puts books on hold a lot through her Libby. And a lot of times she'll say, oh, this book sounds good. And I'm like, Tina read it. So that like, then you'll probably like it. Yeah. And so I do the same thing. It's funny. And so Okay, I do have some strong opinions, though, about a couple of 
book etiquette things that go along with recommending books. And okay, for me, if you're going to recommend books, the recommender has to know two things. One, the person you're recommending the book to might not like it, and you have to be okay with that. And two, the person you recommend the book to might not read it right away. They might not read it ever, and you have to be okay with that. I will say Mm -hmm. I do, if I recommend a book to somebody, I really obviously want them to like it. And I don't get offended, but my feelings might get hurt a little bit, especially if they're like, this book was stupid, or you know, if they're not offering constructive reasons as to why a book didn't work. And I don't like it personally when people follow up and say, did you read it? Did you read it? Like if they (laughs) offer me a recommendation, it's like overwhelming because we're mood readers. So you kind of just, I think, have to be okay with knowing that a person might not pick it up right away. And the person that is getting the recommendation, you have etiquette too. If the person doesn't ask, don't seek them out to tell them why the book sucked. Like, I don't think anybody (laughs) wants to hear like, hey, I hated your recommendation, especially. And and this is more so online. If I'm going on and on about how I loved a particular book and someone just comments, yeah, that book was stupid or it was too campy or whatever. It doesn't do much for me. I'm like, I literally told you it was a five-star read. I didn't ask you. (laughs) You don't feel the need to come in my comments. And I understand maybe they're trying to start a conversation, but a lot of times it just seems like dismissive and almost makes me feel bad. Like It makes me question my recommendation sometimes. Not Mm -hmm. always, but it depends Mm -hmm. on the book. I love a productive conversation about it, but I think the why as to why it worked or didn't is important. I think you hit on the big part of that, which it's productive conversation, Uh which if you're posting books or we're talking about books, we are opening ourselves up to having people comment or give their opinions about the books that we have read and recommend. But it would ideally be helpful if it's constructive (laughs) conversation. So I don't mind if someone does not like a book that I loved. I don't mind it. But don't I don't want to hear it was stupid. Yeah. Like tell me why. I I hear a lot. I hated that book. Mm, Yeah. And I both hear that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, but why? I just want to know. I don't. I don't mind that you hated it, and I. I am particularly thinking about a little life, and I've heard from many people who didn't like that book, and especially because I've I've mentioned it as my top book of the last decade. It's okay. I know that it's not for everyone, but I also would like tell me why you didn't like it. Like, let's have a let's have that. If you want to comment on it, then tell me why. I agree. And yeah. then then that can lead to really interesting conversations. Yes. And I truly do not get upset. And I was talking with one of our patrons in particular who wants to bring A Little Life as her first book of the year for January 2024. And I said, oh, I'm always here to talk about A Little Life, even if you don't like it. Yeah, it doesn't like I still have great conversations with people sure. who didn't like the book. It's just it, like you said, it's etiquette. There's a way to have that yeah. conversation. And I try not to get I, I don't get offended if people don't like something I read. And I hope that that like you said, that people understand that as a mood reader, I am adding books that people recommend to me. I really do add them to my list and I'm trying to keep closer track of who recommended what, but I don't know if I'm ever going to read them. They're on like this, but I want to, I like that at the time I'm like, gosh, that sounds really good. And it goes on the list, but I, yeah, 
which it's just the nature of not mm-hmm. ever knowing what you, what I might be in the mood for. Yeah. And then I just might get to it and I might not. Right. No, I'm I'm completely with you. And I was thinking about it, why you and I are particularly hard to recommend books to. I don't know if we're hard, but it's funny because you and I talk about books every single week. And I, if I'm recommending something to you, can't always guarantee that it's going to be a winner for mm-hmm. you. For me, I was thinking about that. First of all, I probably have read it. Like if someone's suggesting a book that they think I might like, 50-50 chance I've already read it um, just because we read so many books mm-hmm. and, you know, we read widely. But there are certain genres that, you know, like I've read all the big mystery thrillers this year. Not all of them, but a lot of them. So it's hard, mm-hmm. I think, for people to find one that I haven't read, especially like book club. I think about my book club and they'll be like, have you read this? Yes. Have you read this? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I think I'm hard to recommend books for because if you tell me I need to read something, I'm going to run the other way. Like, I, I, I <laughs> don't know why. I don't know what that is. For some reason, if somebody's like, yeah, you've got to read this book, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to. Like, I, it just makes me squirt. I don't know. Like, the the book I'm thinking of is Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. Mm. So many people said, Tina, you've got to read this. And I was like, maybe someday. <laughs> I just didn't want to last <laughs> year. And again, me, I don't know what mood I'm going to be in until I end up picking it up. So again, this is another reason I need to sample more. What about you? Do you think you're hard to recommend books for? I do think I'm hard for the fact that I've read so much. Mm-hmm. Because of that, yes. But then I don't think I'm that hard to figure out particular books that I might like. As long as I haven't read it. <laughs> so that would probably have to be the first question, I guess. But otherwise, because I like, I feel like I'm I'm pretty easy to to recommend because mm-hmm. I I do like a pretty wide variety and when in doubt since I'm on a nonfiction kick that's always an option <laughs> the recommendations that I really think make the most difference to me are when people say okay I want to recommend this to you because I know you like Don Winslow or or yes. Dennis Lee Hain and I know you like love triangles Mm-hmm. So I want to recommend X, Y, or Z, and I think you would like it. So when somebody's taken the time or the the thought to like know what else I've read and liked because they've listened to us, so they kind of know um, my taste, then those are the recommendations that I really do. If somebody were to say to me, I know you liked this, and I know you like these particular things in your reading, so I think that you must read this book, I actually will pay closer attention to that. Mm -hmm. Like what you're saying, it makes you kind of run the other way. It makes me think, oh, okay, this is something I need to try soon. Yeah, I think it's the, I don't know what it is, why it makes me not want to. Maybe the pressure of, you know, liking it or not. I don't know why I think about it that way. Well, you're not the only one. I know other readers who just do not like to be, told that they need right. to that's read why I'm not something. Great with, that's why if I'm in a book club, I have to, like, I feel like I, I has to be my book club so that I can, <laughs> you know, have a little bit of a control over the narrative, which is silly. Uh, I'll wrap things up because I know we're going on, but I, I love too when people say this is for fans of A Little Life, for example. Yes, I love When that. they're doing comps, that really works for me because then I could get in my brain like, okay, this works, which is why in a lot of my recommendations, that's how I frame things because it works <laughs> for me as a reader. 
Hey everyone, before we get to our books, we have a very special ad this month. Normally we don't do ads, but this fell so squarely within our wheelhouse, we had to accept it. And we think if you're a listener of this podcast, you'll like this one too. I'm LeVar Burton, and if you're ready to escape into another world for a little bit, check out my podcast, LeVar Burton Reads. I read my favorite stories aloud every week by everyone from Stephen King to N.K. Jemison to Toni Morrison. Plus, we add a little sound design and music to make it a truly immersive experience. Listen to LeVar Burton Reads wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again to LeVar Burton Reads for partnering with us. Now, on to our books. I'm going to segue actually into my first book that the patrons picked for us. So we put out a poll on our Facebook group for our patrons and they could vote on the books that they wanted us to read. So we picked the four books and they voted and the top two are what we ended up choosing. The first book that I picked was Go as a River by Shelley Reed. I'm so happy we did this episode because I don't know if I would have eventually gotten into this book had it not been the winner by far and away. So many people said, I love this book. This book was fantastic. And they were right. It is stunning. It is one of those books that follows a main character throughout the course of their life, which I love. And I've always asked for books like that with female main characters. So if you want something with a strong female lead, this might work for you. It's historical fiction that begins in 1948, and it's set in the harsh wilderness of Colorado. And it's a debut when I tell you the writing was stunning, like this writing was really, really good. Victoria Nash lives on her family's peach farm and they've lived there for generations. She is now the matriarch of the family after her mother's sudden death. So she's responsible for the cooking, the cleaning, taking care of her brothers and uncle and dad. She lives a fairly simple life until one day she's out delivering late season peaches into the village. A disheveled stranger stops to ask for directions. This is newsworthy because there's not a lot of strangers in her town, and she makes a decision, and how she answers him unknowingly alters the course of both their lives. This is a book about motherhood. It's about loneliness. It's about strength, racism, love. There's a lot of themes that this tackles, but I really thought she did it in a way that was surprising somehow, because there were turns. I'm like, wait, what? Wait, this... There were twists and turns along the way, decisions that characters made that I was even questioning, which I think makes for a really fun reading experience because you're like, what? Why didn't you do this? Or or what would happen if you did it that way? I don't know that this book is for everyone because it is descriptive. It's evocative. It's a little bit slower, but I loved the characters and that's ultimately what kept me going. I just really liked Victoria as a character. I was very much invested in her well-being. I think it's a book I was highlighting a lot. There were a lot of passages I wanted to hang on to, but it's sad. It's a really sad, almost melancholy story. And this was set in the 40s, but it could have been in the late 1800s based on the the role of women, based on some of the ideals that some of the townspeople had. I'm like, wait, I kept having to remind myself, no, it's it's the 40s and beyond. Like, it's not the 1800s, which says a lot, I think, for progress. I think if you're familiar with Colorado, you would love this book even more. I've only been there one time. The author is a fifth-generation Coloradian who lives in the mountains, and you can tell she's very intimately familiar with the atmosphere. So the writing is set in nature. Renee, I think you would like that aspect Mm. of it because it's very much, you know, you're just in the wilderness with her. This would be great for book club. There's a lot for readers to unpack. 
The comp I have for this is Kristen Hanna's The Four Winds. I think that's a very close comp for a couple of reasons, which I know people either loved or did not like. (laughs) I personally loved it. One critique is that I am desperate for an epilogue. I I, I want an epilogue for this story. You know, Renee and I both love epilogues. Mm -hmm. I would have killed for it. This would have knocked it into a full five-star status. As is, it's about a 4.5. I thought this was a great recommendation, though. And somebody I know said, and this is, I think, what made me push it onto my list. They said it was for me because of my love for motherhood books. And they were absolutely right. So thanks for that recommendation. Overall, I loved it. I, I highly recommend it. It is Go as a River by Shelley Reed. Oh, good. Okay. I didn't, that wasn't even on my radar and it, with the wilderness theme. It yeah. should have been. Mm-hmm. Good. Right. It was really good. All right. Interesting. My first pick is also set in the 1940s. Oh, that's strange. Right? Yeah. And this was the this was the overwhelming winner of the four books I gave our patrons to vote on. And it is Beyond That, The Sea by Laura Spence Ash. This book has been on my TBR and my radar, I believe since January of last year. I've had a copy of it. I got an early copy from the publisher and then don't know why, never read it. And so I, this this was one I wanted them to vote on because I thought, okay, if this wins, then this is going to push this to be my read. And I'm so glad they voted on this one. This is historical fiction. And it initially takes place in London in 1940, at the time when German bombs were falling all over London. And working class parents, Millie and Reginald Thompson, make an impossible choice. They decide to send their 11-year-old daughter, Beatrix, to America. And there, she'll live with another family for the duration of the war, where they hope she'll stay safe. Now, they don't know, no one knows how long the war is going to last, but they make this choice so that they can try to keep her safe. And she travels alone to Boston, where there she meets the Gregories, Mr. and Mrs. G, and their sons, William and Gerald. And they are wonderful. They fold B seamlessly into their world. She becomes part of their lively family. Um, She learns the ways and their stories, and she adjusts to their very affluent lifestyle. It turns out they have a house in Boston, and then they spend summers in the, at their house on the coast of Maine. She becomes close with both the brothers, and life with the Gregories starts to feel more natural to her than her life back in England, which is such an interesting way to introduce conflict into the story. Now, there comes a point that that is reached and B is actually desperate not to leave the Gregories and her life in America behind. But a time will come that she travels back to London. And I think I'm going to leave that there because that's going to be post-war London and and so much happens even before that in the story as well as after. This story is actually told over several decades. Starts in the 1940s when Beatrix is 11, and it will end, Tina, with a fantastic epilogue set in the 1970s. So over 30 years, that epilogue was, oh, I feel bad for you because you wanted one so bad, and this story has (laughs) such a great one. I love— 
I loved this book. I loved it. I haven't told the patrons yet that I loved it. And a lot of them commented and said that it was their favorite book of the year. It was going to be in their top 10. And I was a little nervous because it seems to be very beloved. And I just really, really loved it. And something I really found myself invested in was not only B, but all of the other characters, every single one. You get perspectives from Beatrix, but you also get perspectives from the brothers, William and Gerald. The Gregories, we hear from them. We hear from B's parents, Millie and Reginald. And really, of all the characters in the story, Millie, her mother, wow. Talk about a character arc that was just fantastic. I loved everything about this book. It is going to tackle themes of coming of age, of heartache, of forgiveness, of understanding, of family, of loss, and of love. There's a lot of love And there is a lot of complicated love in this story. There is even a bit of a love triangle, which you know I love. I can't tell you anything that I didn't love about this story. So I will leave it there and really encourage you to give this one a try. If it's still on your TBR, it's Beyond That the Sea by Laura Spence Ash. Uh, Well, you know, good timing because you really sold it to me. And I was like, when am I going to read this? But now we're coming up on the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have a little bit more. My focus has a tiny bit been, okay, maybe I can find one more best book of the year. Maybe I can add to my list. Not that I need to. My top 10 is pretty solid, but maybe it's a top (laughs) 15. It's kind of fun to to think about what if, can, what if there's one more we can, I know that's going to make our list. I know. I know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Next is The Leftover Woman for Me by Jean Kwok. And this one I added to my list in the patrons. Obviously, this was the second most voted on. This is in the best mystery and thriller category for the Goodreads Choice Awards for best you know mystery and thriller of the year. I don't think this belongs there. Because if you go into this expecting a thriller, you will be disappointed. It's definitely more of a family drama with a little mysterious aspect. Um, But it's family drama about the ferocious pull of motherhood for two very different women. You have Jasmine Yang, who arrives in New York City from her rural Chinese village without money or support. And you find out that she's fleeing this controlling husband and she's searching for her daughter, who was taken from her at birth due to China's controversial one-child policy. But her husband is not letting her get off that easy, and he's actually trying to find her, and she knows this. The clock is ticking, and she's forced to make decisions when she gets to the U.S. that are, you know, that she's kind of backed into a corner. So she makes some decisions to really try and figure out where her daughter is. And then you also meet the point of view of Rebecca Whitney, and she is a publishing executive, and she is a rich woman. She seems to have it all. Her father was in publishing. She inherited, so to speak, the family business. And she's got this career she loves, a beautiful home, a handsome and doting husband, and this daughter that they adopted from China. And she even has hired a Chinese nanny to help, you know, enculturate her daughter and, you know, balance the demands of being a working wife and mother. Then there's an industry scandal that jeopardizes everything in Rebecca's life and her world begins to crumble. I loved the setup for this. I was absolutely in it. I was so curious to see how the storylines would converge. I will say it was a bit slower for me. I was surprised. I thought it was going to be kind of, you know, 
take off right away, but I found it to be a little bit slower in ways that particularly annoy me. For example, Mm -hmm. I don't like when a book will say, oh, the really bad thing that happened. They allude to all this bad stuff. I want you to tell me. It was almost the writing style of the author to foreshadow. She did a lot of foreshadowing. And you do find out. You absolutely find out what's going on. But a piece of me was like, come on, like, get, fill me in here. What's happening? Because in the very, very beginning, you meet Jasmine and she runs into her old friend from home, Anthony. And so I thought it was going to be a lot more about him. And, and it evolves from there. But I was a little bit wondering, like, what's Anthony's role in all of this? The characters I did I was invested. I was curious enough to keep reading, of course, but I won't say that I loved them or I loved their story. The mom was very self-involved and I'm a working mother, so I can appreciate that she had a lot going on, but pieces of me were like, Mm-mm. and I think that was by design. She was kind of annoying to me. But the good, the good is the last 15% of this, very suspenseful, very, very good. I was on the edge of my seat, like, wait, what's going to happen? And once all of the pieces fell into place, it was it took off and I was ready to go. I won't say the first 85% were boring or anything like that. It was just a little bit more of a setup and you're getting to know the characters. But I think by the end, it did earn that mystery aspect. You, you figured out what was going on. There are themes of immigration, motherhood, and China's one-child policy. I was really, I I was so glad the author included that because I learned more about it. It formally ended in 2016 because I was really curious about like, is it still happening now? I enjoyed it. I liked a lot of elements to it. There were a few surprises along the way, although I did figure some things out. I thought it was an interesting story. Again, if you like domestic suspense, I think this would be best for folks who are interested in that particular genre. This was The Leftover Woman by Jean Kwok. Okay, great review. Yeah, I mean, when you were talking, I was thinking, I feel like I had the same sort of feelings about searching for Sylvie Lee. I feel like the ending was like, bam, like, wow, okay, that was good. But I also remember thinking along the way that I was, that it was slow. Good to know. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, full disclosure, before I give you my second read, the patrons of the two books that they voted on for me, the first was Beyond That the Sea, and the second was The Bee Sting by Paul Murray. Now, I really wanted to read that at one point, (laughs) and that was the second selection. And I probably, I honestly can't remember right now how far I got, but I realized I was not into it. So I put out a call in our Facebook group to the patrons and I said, here's the deal. I don't, I'm not into this. Can you all give me some recommendations for something else? And I need it to, and it was like a a Tuesday and I needed, yeah, it was this week, Tuesday, and I needed it to be finished by today. So can you make it a short book? And our patrons <laughs> came through and I want everyone to know I added all the recommendations to my TBR. Some of them I was not able to get on audio. I needed it to be on audio and an ebook through my, like most likely through Libby. So anyway, they were great and I will be reading all of the ones that they recommended. But today, the one that I was able to get and I read was Akin by Emma Donahue. And I listened to this one, and this was recommended by Kathy. Now, on paper, I probably would not have picked this for myself, but because I liked what Kathy had to say about how she recommended it, I was like, okay, this sounds like a possibility. 
And I haven't, I don't think I've read Emma Donahue before. So this one is about Noah, a retired chemistry professor and widower. He is 79 at the time the story begins, and he is living on the Upper West Side of New York City. But he had been born in the South of France, and he is days away from his first visit back to Nice since he was a child, and he wants to take with him a handful of puzzling photos that he's discovered from his mother's wartime years. But then, literally out of the blue, he receives a call from social services, and it seems that Noah is the closest available relative of an 11-year-old great-nephew he's never met, and that nephew is urgently in need of someone to look after him. His mother is in jail, and his father has died. So out of a feeling of obligation, Noah agrees to take Michael in temporarily and take him on this trip to France with him. They're able to square away all of the fine details. And this unlikely duo, who will be suffering from jet lag and culture shock, end up bickering about everything from food to screen time. But Noah along the way will gradually come to appreciate Michael, who's the 11-year-old boy, Michael's wit, and his ease with technology and sharp eye. So the two of them are going to take this adventure in France and also try to find out this mystery about the puzzling photos with Noah's mother. So you have that story. And then what is going to happen when when they get back. There's a little bit of a mystery around, do they bond? Is Noah going to end up like, okay, you've got to go. I can't handle this 11-year-old kid because Michael comes with, you know, a bit of his own issues. But this is a build as a tender and heartwarming story. And I would agree with that. It is funny in places, And what I really, really liked about this story, this is 100% a character-driven story. There is some plot, and there is a little bit of mystery, but I was in this for Noah. And that is why I said, on paper, this might not have been something that I would have initially chosen for myself because I don't tend to like curmudgeon stories. And I would have thought that this was a curmudgeon story, but it is not. And that is why I absolutely loved Noah. He was the nicest guy, but also so smart. He was so funny at times. And the fact that Michael was able to challenge him on quite a lot, and the two of them together were just overall a delight. I was in the story because I needed to know what was going to happen with their relationship. That was what propelled me through. That's what kept me going. I really actually also enjoyed the aspect of France. And funny that this was set in France at the same time that I'm watching Emily in Paris. So there was French being spoken in this book as well. And I was like, oh, this is so, what a cool like coincidence that I have both visually, I can see the France on the screen and then I'm also reading about it. I really liked that. I would say that I highly enjoyed this book. It's probably a four, 4.25 star. The one downside for me was the fact that the author chose to have one of 
Michael's characteristics, I don't know if it would be, I guess, a characteristic. He did a lot of swearing. Now, if you have a problem with an 11-year-old constantly swearing, you might have an issue with this. I don't per se have an issue with that, but I don't think it was needed throughout the entire book. I thought maybe at one point that would stop, but it really doesn't. So I found that to be a little annoying and a little grating, especially on audio. And I just don't think it was necessary for that particular, like I get what she was trying to do by forming a picture of, you know, Michael's struggles, but it became too much. So just know that other than that, I really, really enjoyed it. And I thought it was a very refreshing take on, you know, uh, just a, a story that maybe we have seen in other places. But for this one, without the grumpiness aspect of it, I really liked it. It was Akin by Emma Donahue. All right. Well, good. Are you ready for one more recommendation? Yeah. Okay. My Shelf Edition is a book that I screenshotted. I was browsing on Fantastic Fiction, my new favorite website. And one of the authors that I follow recommended this book. And I screenshotted it in my phone because I thought, first of all, I was interested. And I thought, wait a minute. As I look closer, this sounds like a Renee. So the book Mm. is called Someone Else's Secret by Julia Spiro. Okay. I haven't heard heard of it. it. Okay. No. And it says, here's the thing about secrets. They change, shape over time, become blurry with memory until the truth is nearly lost. And it's set in 2009. You've got Lindsay and Georgie, and they have high hopes for their summer on Martha's Vineyard. It's in the wake of the recession, and you have ambitious college graduate Lindsay who accepts a job as a nanny for an influential family. And she's trying to get in an in with the um, exclusive art world in Boston. Georgie is the eldest child in that family. She's almost 15, though, doesn't really need a nanny, but, you know, she's eager to find herself. She's dreaming of independence and yearning for her first love. Over the course of that summer, the two women develop a close bond, and then one night by a lighthouse, a shocking act occurs that ensnares them both in the throes of a terrible secret. Their budding friendship is shattered, and neither one can speak of what happened that night for 10 years. Until now. Of course, Lindsay and Georgie must confront the past after all this time, and their quest for justice will require costly sacrifices, but it might also give them the closure they need to move on. All they know for sure is that when the truth is revealed, their lives will be forever changed once again. And I thought, okay, secrets, number one Mm -hmm. for Renee. Setting, I feel like the setting could work for you during summer maybe, It also reminded me a little bit of Mary Jane by Jessica Anya Blau. I don't know what about it. Something, maybe the beach, the coming of ageness of it. I was like, maybe this could work for you. Maybe not. It's Someone Else's Secret by Julia Spiro. No, that sounds good. And also, I love friendship stories where something happens that breaks up the friendship, but then we may not find out till years later what that was. See? Okay. See, I'm yeah. something here. So I can, so can I read that now? Like if I can. Yeah, you, this is, is that yours. Out, that's out now, right? This is out now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also too, funnily enough, the reviews are like middle of the road. That's like a three, six, but I don't think that would deter it for me from recommending it to you because you don't mind a polarizing book. You don't need no. like a four star overall Mm-mm. rating because some of your favorites have been rated lower. Absolutely. Side tangent, but my biggest lesson in that was One Day by David Nichols, mm-hmm. which I think still has like a three, three, six ish to three, 
3.37 rating on Goodreads. Mm. And that is one of my favorite books ever. So that does not deter me, a 3.6. Mm-hmm. No. This, okay, so Tina, we, it's always funny how we are somehow on the same track. So my shelf edition is also about two friends. And that is crazy. So mine is The Lion Women of Tehran by Marjan Kamali. Now, this doesn't come out till July 2nd, but I had to bring this because I know I am not the only one who has been anxiously awaiting on her next book after loving the stationery shop. So I wanted everyone to know this is coming and get your pre-orders, get your library holds in if possible. And this one is set in 1950s Tehran with seven-year-old Ellie, who lives in grand comfort until the untimely death of her father. And when he dies, this forces Ellie and her mother to move to a tiny home downtown. Now, lonely and bearing the brunt of her mother's endless grievances, Ellie dreams of a friend to help alleviate her isolation. And she's in luck because on the first day of school, she meets Homa, a kind, passionate girl with a brave and impressionable spirit. Together, the two girls play games. They learn to cook in the stone kitchen of Homa's warm home, and they wander through the colorful stalls of the Grand Bazaar, and they share their ambitions for becoming, quote, lion women. But their happiness is disrupted when Ellie and her mother are somehow able to return to their previous fancy life. Now a popular student at the best girls' high school in Iran, Ellie's memories of Homa begin to fade. But years later, her sudden reappearance in Ellie's privileged world alters the course of both of their lives. So together, the two women, two young women, come of age and pursue their own goals for meaningful futures. But there's going to be political turmoil in Iran, and that turmoil builds to a breaking point and one earth-shattering betrayal will have enormous consequences for them. This is, I don't even, honestly, I did not even care what this book was about when I saw that Marjan Kamali had a new one, but it is called The Lion Women of Tehran by Marjan Kamali. Good. I know you loved, I'm excited she's got a new one coming out. I'm so excited. I actually saw this on NetGalley or some, but I saw the cover at first, and the colors and style of the cover. As soon as I saw it, I was like, that reminds me of the stationery shop. Yeah. And then I looked closer and it's, it is her. Oh, and I'm so excited. So I fun. love the stationery shop so much. Also one of my favorite books ever. This is a fun time of year when we find out if our favorite authors are coming out with new books. Because I feel like I've seen so many 2024 releases. I'm like, oh, we're getting a new, you know, there's like a whole laundry list. Yes. And that's our bonus episode is 2024 outlook for uh, November. So that's coming soon. Well, and that's only what we knew of at the time we recorded. I know. And there's already been ones that I could have added for sure. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, that's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. And if you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following us wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. 
It helps us get our show out to new listeners and grows our audience. And of course, don't forget, if you'd like access to our exclusive bonus content and community, please join us for $5 a month on patreon.com slash booktalk, etc. If you'd like to connect with us, email us at booktalketc at gmail.com. You can also find us at booktalketc on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc. And me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. And we get it so good. Like, our patrons, our people are so freaking wonderful. Yes, they really are. Yeah.